Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Gadget Flow. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today we have got an exciting episode for you. We are talking with Sean DeClerc, co-founder and CEO of Kick Further. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart. Hey, Roy. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no, really happy to have you. I know you've worked with a bunch of our clients that have used you post crowdfunding and really excited to, you know, kind of learn more and introduce you to our audience uh, in terms of what you do. I mean, you're a, you're a lifelong entrepreneur, you know, working on solving, you know, one of those hard problems that businesses face in terms of how to fund the production of their inventory. Uh, and I know you had to deal with that yourself. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to the audience and, you know, tell the audience a little bit about where did this start? Tell us the backstory and what inspired you to create Kick Further. Absolutely. Thanks, Roy. Um, so, you know, I, I think like a lot of your audience, I was an, uh, an aspiring entrepreneur myself. My background and my parents' business was in supply chain management. So that's rare. I, you know, I really cut my teeth in helping other businesses to manage their factories, you know, typically overseas. And I started my own company, a merchandising company where we worked with factories, we took products that they were making, customized them a little bit, and then we would sell them as exclusive uh, white label products to retailers here in the U.S., and it was in the growth of that business, we did 600,000 of sales in our first year, up to over a million in our second year, that I encountered this issue of inventory finance. And, you know, it'll be familiar to your audience where, you know, my factories in China, they didn't want to produce any inventory for me until I had paid them, right? They didn't know me. My business was only a year or a year and a half old at that point. And so they needed me to pay them a deposit. I needed to put that money down and then float it and pay the balance. And then when I delivered all of the inventory to my retailer, um, the buyer, they wanted me to wait 30 days to get paid. I was on net 30 terms, which is actually great for a lot of businesses. And so it was there where it was, you know, 30 days production time, 30 days shipping, plus a 30 day payment term where I had to effectively pay for the inventory for three months before I could get paid. And in the meantime, I had to, you know, pay my rent and keep the lights on, you know, and pay pay the rest of the team. And so it created this cash flow gap where I knew there were sales coming, I had a growing business, but I needed funding and uh, some support to fund that inventory before I could continue to grow my business. And when we went out to market and looked at what was available, it was just, you know, uh, really expensive, really, really restrictive covenants on getting that funding. And it just felt like there should have been 
a better, more efficient solution for product entrepreneurs. So we looked around and nobody was doing inventory crowdfunding. So we kind of just grabbed the idea and ran with it. Yeah, I mean, I love the fact that Kickfurther is, you know, connecting these growing startups or, you know, CPG product businesses to a community truly of individuals that can help them raise the funds, enable larger, more cost-effective inventory production runs with their manufacturers. So when did you guys fund, you know, your first deal? So the very first deal we funded, it was with the Friendly Entrepreneur, was way back in November of 20. 14. So, you know, coming up on seven years now, and it was for an online clothing retailer. Nice. So have they come back to the well more than one time? They did. They ended up doing, um, we ended up funding three deals with them over their lifetime on the Kickfurther platform. Yeah, that's great. So let's go back to those early days, you know, 2014, 2015, if you will. When you were creating Kickfurther, you know, what was that process like and how did you go about deciding what features, services to provide and how to price them? <laughs> that's a that's a really funny question. So, literally in the early days, it was me and my co-founder, you know, for a few months there it was just a team of two. We brought on another co-founder in January of 2015 and you know, when you're so young, it was literally like we were spending our time and energy building what needed to be built then and there, right? Like one of the stories I like to tell is you could fund inventory on Kickfurther, but up until about six months after we were live, there was no way to withdraw funds. And we were processing everything using Venmo, sending payments from our business's bank account back to our users. Uh, and I was personally processing those withdrawals up until about nine months in. And then it just, we, we started hitting the weekly Venmo transaction limit. And it was only then when that like, you know, totally, like totally manual system, like literally didn't work anymore that we built and developed our ACH solution, which processes withdrawals now for our users. But, you know, that was literally the way we did things. It was like we didn't, we kind of like procrastinated until it was necessary and then we got it done. And I think, you know, that's actually not a terrible philosophy as a startup. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, it's not broken. Don't fix it. But, you know, you guys push the limits on things and that's, that's what needs to, you know, implement change, right? For uh, more users to come in and be able to scale and grow like you've done. Yeah, I often say that uh, startups live and die on the allocation of resources, which is typically time and money. And, uh, you know, working on stuff that is important and urgent when it becomes urgent is one of the ways of making sure you're prioritizing stuff. But, you know, when you get a little bit more mature, you want to get to that important stuff earlier, you know? Absolutely. And only one of those is infinite, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what was what was launch like, you know, for your brand going out there? Like what did what did you guys do to to launch the brand? So in the early days, you know, we just came out of an accelerator. I hadn't raised a ton of money, so we were really relying on a lot of, you know, what people would call growth hacking or guerrilla marketing tactics in the early days. One of my co-founders originally, you know, we were looking for deals to put up on the platform and he was like, "Oh, 
how are you, how are we going to get these deals funded? Even if we get the deal up on the platform, you know, who's going to fund it? And I was like, don't worry about that. You know, let's worry about getting the deal live. And then I'll just, uh, you know, I'll go on Reddit and we'll find people that will fund it. And almost exactly that's what happened. We found the first deal. We had pretty much zero users other than some friends and family um, that helped us fund that deal in November. And we went out uh, on the internet and we kind of just talked about kick further. We went to our startups, our entrepreneurs and tried to, you know, talk about what we were doing and to engage with the communities in an authentic way. And, and literally that's, that's how it started. We found our first, you know, a hundred users, probably through guerrilla marketing, primarily on Reddit. And from there, we just had a user referral program and our users helped us find other users, those early adopters that believed in what we were trying to accomplish you know, helped us to promote the website. And since then, we haven't had to spend much on user acquisition, which is great. Yeah, that's been amazing. So how many brands have you guys worked with now over the last seven years? Gosh, I have to say we've probably worked with over 500 brands, I would say, or around there. Nice. And most of them, like you had said, potentially are coming back for more after they do their first run with you guys? Yeah. So businesses that make it on to kick further that qualify for our platform are typically doing about four deals on average with us. And we see that each deal, generally the trend is, is each deal is about 25 to 30% larger than the previous one. Nice. So when you guys were starting up kick further, did you take on any debt or investors? Yeah. So our early funding timeline, the first thing that we did when we started this business um, is we got into a business accelerator that was out in Boulder, Colorado. Um, shout out to Boomtown Accelerators. They were a great team and really helped us get our feet under us and find some of our early mentors, advisors, and investors. From there, we raised a convertible note in 2015. And then we raised, you know, essentially a bunch of convertible debt was our vehicle of choice. And we were fortunate that now, you know, we've kind of moved into preferred shares equity rounds. Beautiful. So what's one thing that you wish you had known before you started Kick Further? Uh, <laughs> uh, so probably, you know, one of the things that people told me at the beginning, and I didn't believe that I would share with any other entrepreneurs is that, you know, our first convertible note that we raised had a $2.5 million cap on it. And the reality is, is that those investors that are coming in on the very early investment rounds, like they're coming in for for large outcomes. And the difference of a $2.5 million cap or, you know, realistically a $5 million cap for our organization, you know, it probably would have been the same. We probably would have raised roughly the same amount of money. And the only difference was we just took on more dilution than we needed to. So I look back on that as being a little bit inexperienced and not knowing how the market functions. But, you know, I think it's tough when you're a, an early entrepreneur to, to recognize that raising funding is actually creating an opportunity for those investors, that the number of true high scale potential businesses is worth um, the opportunity to get into those kinds of businesses is worth five million bucks to, to early investors. So I would say don't sell yourself short and don't leave money on the table. It's one of those things where you can command a higher price than you might believe if you are a little bit more aggressive on the front end. The other thing I think is to 
to really dig down and to understand your unit economics from an, a very early stage. Uh, it was when I got a very firm handle on my customer acquisition cost and my lifetime value that I felt like fundraising and the ability to really scale the company opened up for, for us as an organization. So I would recommend that any entrepreneurs, you know, the, the philosophy of if you build it, they will come does not play and investors don't want to hear that. So have data on how are you attracting people? What does it cost for you to bring people to your product? And how much revenue do you expect to earn from them? Absolutely. No, solid insights there, Sean. So what, um, in your young career, what's, what's been your biggest failure and what did you learn from? Interesting. Uh, what is my biggest failure? What did I learn from it? Uh, you know, <laughs> um, probably my biggest failure was the business prior to kick further, where we went from having a business that was profitable. It had grown more than 50% year over year. And we just hit this wall on finding financing, inventory finance, and it pretty much killed the business. And, you know, I, I went from that experience and I started kick further, but that was extremely painful. And I learned at that stage that having financing for your business, it's not an option, right? If you want to have a, a scaling, a growing business, you have to have a solution for how you're going to fund its growth. And that was a painful lesson to learn. It caused me to close that first business, but it also put me on the path of starting kick further. And so, you know, it's hard to have too many regrets about it. Sure. So what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Uh, have an open mind, be ready for some, the, the emotional highs and the emotional lows. I think that, uh, being mindful and having a strong, like having strong philosophical fortitude around the fact that, you know, you have to do the best you can and you have to understand that sometimes things are out of your control and to deal with that, to be able to keep moving forward when you're feeling really great. And also when you're not feeling so great, I think is, uh, a survival trait that you need to have as a CEO or as an entrepreneur that's going to start a startup. And don't be afraid to dive into the problems, right? I think there's a tendency, a lot of times people prefer to kind of ignore the stuff that's the, you know, not the good news. But I actually think that a, a focus every single day on the things that aren't working is how you take a business and turn it into uh, a very successful, scalable organization is actually a focus on the negative and how to improve that over time and not not by ignoring it. Absolutely. So what are some of those best resources that have helped you along the way? You know, I would say like for me, it's so personal, right? Like I know that myself as an entrepreneur, I am a procrastinator. I was never a true academic person, right? So I know that I need um, and do better with support on stuff that helps me to stay organized and helps me to stay on top of the management of the organization. So, you know, what I found to be very useful for us as Kickfurther is relying on tools that shore up what I think are uh, areas of opportunity, right, for me to improve. So we invest in stuff like Salesforce, right, a powerful CRM that helps us to manage and to understand our acquisition funnels, 
you know, stuff like that. We invest in, you know, Carta is one of the other tools that we use to help me manage the cap table and to keep all of that straight. So I think as an entrepreneur, what you want to do is be mindful of where where your strengths and your weaknesses lie and, you know, shore up those weaknesses and double down on the strengths. Absolutely. So last year was a challenging year for a lot of companies. I think you guys probably saw some interesting trends, you know, over the pandemic. So what did you guys do from a marketing perspective to stay top of mind? That's a great question. Um, So actually what happened in Q2 is we turned off almost all of our marketing because like us and many other people, we didn't know what was going to happen in the pandemic. And so we actually reduced our first move when everything was happening was to was a conservative move to actually preserve our cash position. And what that meant was reducing the impact of growth efforts. And then when we saw that pretty much across the industry, uh, you know, the ability for product companies to get funding was severely impacted during the pandemic, we decided, you know, look, that was an opportunity for kick further, we could still operate with our marketplace model. And there were entrepreneurs that that really needed the inventory funding and other people weren't paying attention. So we've ramped everything back up. I mean, we probably turned everything back on in early May. So we were probably quiet for about 45 days, I would say. And that worked really well for us. So we did a funding contest because previously we had been going to a lot of trade shows and events and none of those were happening. But we knew that there was, you know, people were paying attention and there was attention available online to win, let's say. So we worked with some of our partners and we put together a funding contest. That was a big success. It also got some product companies, you know, cost-free inventory funding, which I think was a nice way of doing good and doing well at the same same time. And then, you know, we invested in direct mail and digital marketing because we, we saw that there was a lot of activity and attention in the digital space. Nice. So where are you guys headed this year? What are the growth plans? You know, I think it's um, we continue to invest. I have what I call a bullets and then cannonball strategy. So we ran a lot of experiments last year. We saw what was working this year. It's to send cannonballs after those bullets that hit, uh, which for us, you know, is investing deeply in our partnerships. We have a great network of referral partners and they win, you know, when we win. So that's been working really well for us. It's to, it's to invest in business development, moving even further up the chain, working with larger organizations to provide liquidity for their uh, clients that might have inventory needs. And it's also to invest in KickFurther's product, where uh, we've recently raised a, an equity round, and that gives us the ability to create a better experience for our businesses and our users, which, you know, of course, we as an organization hopes translates into growth, right? Absolutely. Well, Sean, this has been awesome. This uh, this is going to get us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire a handful of questions at you. You good to go? I'm ready, Roy. Let's do this. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? Capitalism. I'm a tried and true capitalist. I realized that the way capitalism works is uh, if you're generating X value for your labor, somebody else is making X plus one. That's the only way that capitalism really works. And I decided from an early age that I wanted to own 100% of the value of my labor. Absolutely. So if you could meet with any capitalist, I mean, entrepreneur throughout history, who would you want to have a coffee with? You know, I have always admired. Bill Gates, I think what he did uh, 
with Microsoft and then translating that into curing polio in India. That's the kind of entrepreneurship that I really respect. And, you know, I would love to pick his brains and, and understand his journey. What would be your first question for Mr. Gates? Where do you go from here, Mr. Gates? What's next for Gates and the Gates Foundation? Yeah, he's definitely got his hands on a lot of good things, I believe, these days. Yeah. Uh, who did you look up to growing up as a kid? I used to look up to uh, Albert Einstein a lot. I, I always used to take pride in kind of being a smart guy. That was one of the things I identified with. Einstein was always, you know, the smart guy. And the more I learned about him, he was also, you know, a smart guy, but he was also seems like a really good dude. Um, so it was somebody I liked. Nice. Yeah, he's definitely got an interesting story. Thinking about our audience, any books that you would recommend to them? Yeah, I think um, the number one book that I recommend to all entrepreneurs is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I think that there's just nothing more valuable than understanding how human psychology works and understanding how humans make decisions. And so that's the most valuable book I would recommend. Um, honorable mentions would definitely be Traction by Gino Wickman and the Entrepreneurial Operating System, I think is great. And Thinking Fast and Slow by Chris Voss, um, which is a, uh, an interesting book about the art of negotiation. Oh, you mean Never Split the Difference? Oh, yes. Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. What did I say? Thinking Fast and Slow again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, Traction Gino Wickman, and Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman. Definitely. That's the, uh, that is a solid three pack right there for our listeners. So usually I, uh, well, I guess I'll ask you this cause it's, it's interesting in terms of, I know your, your sister ran a crowdfunding campaign, correct? Yes, she did. So given your insights and in inventory funding and, you know, helping out the businesses with their products, what do you see the future of crowdfunding looking like? You know, I think we're really in the nascent stages of crowdfunding. I think what you're seeing now is really a retail revolution happening. And you see it reflected in things like GameStop um, and that frenzy and the craziness that happened. I think you see it in the current environment where you have businesses that are doing SPACs, which are essentially opening up venture growth opportunities to regular retail investors. And I think as the world becomes more interconnected we're going to see that this is we're really just at the very beginning of a, of a whole retail revolution where um, the individuals and the ability to really optimize and to take advantage of the wisdom of crowds being empowered by the Internet that we're really only just starting here. I think it's an exciting time. Absolutely. Well, Sean, this has been awesome. This is your opportunity to give our audience your pitch, tell people what you're all about, where they should go and why they should check out Kick Further. Yeah, well, you know, I think um, what we're looking at doing at KickFurther is supporting entrepreneurs. If you're interested in doing that as a user, there is zero cost to create an account. And it's as little as $20 to start uh, funding inventory for great product businesses. And if you're a product business, again, zero cost to apply and find out whether you qualify for funding on KickFurther. I always recommend, you know, get ahead of it. Come meet us, make a connection with one of our sales team members. And uh, if we can be helpful, that would be awesome. Absolutely. Well, audience, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the notes, the transcript, links to everything we talked about today. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Product Hype. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart. 
Thank you, Roy. It was great to be here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.